Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, why don't we stand just for a moment? Some of you are fasting. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're ready for bed right now. It's cold. It's dark. But we've come to meet with God and have him do something. So... Um, today's prayer focus, if, you, if, you do not, if you're not participating in the booklet uh, right now in the prayer focus, there are some out in the, um, in the foyer, but today's prayer focus is about hunger and thirst for God's word. So the, the prayer request is that God would give us more hunger and more thirst for his word so that every time we read it, we would receive fresh revelation and that we would have the courage to live it. And it's interesting because we can get in a routine and say, okay, I have a, I'm in a habit of reading the word. And that's great if it's, a, if it's a very healthy habit to have, but it can become so habitual that we just open it up and we read the words and we've heard the story before and we close them. And um, I don't remember if it was in the morning session or at the noon session when we were praying uh, today, but the Lord was like showing me different things even in Isaiah that I have read a lot of times before. It was specifically about uh, when Jesus would come, he would break the rod of the oppressor. I've read that a lot of times, but the image of Jesus coming down and that oppression, that rod that the oppressor uses against us, whether it's, you know, for disease or depression or whatever, you know, whatever he tries to do, that that's already been broken. So if we're experiencing those things and then we get a revelation of his word because we've looked at it fresh, we said, God, give me hunger and thirst for your word so that every single time I read it, can you imagine how exciting Bible reading would be? if we had an anticipation, expectation, every time we read it, that there would be fresh revelation, that the eyes of our heart would be opened up, and then the courage to live it, which means two weeks from now, three weeks from now, when a challenge comes, or you know, if something happens with our kids or whatever, I would go back to that scripture and say, your word says that the rod of the oppressor is snapped, broken, done. Like not enough duct tape or you know, Elmer's glue or super glue is gonna ever put this thing back together. The oppressor's rod has been broken. So that's what we want to do is, is approach his word in such a way that we're just asking him for fresh revelation. So hunger and thirst, that every time we read it, we'll have fresh revelation that's insight into our heart and that we would have the courage to live it, okay? So I want us to pray out loud. There's no soft music, no light, low lights. We're together as a body of believers, so we, we should know how to pray out loud. So we're gonna pray for the next moments about that specific thing that the Lord would stir your hunger. And maybe, just maybe tonight, as the word's being taught, something will open up uh, to you in a fresh way that you have the courage to live after tonight. So why don't you join me with verbal prayer tonight? You don't have to think your prayers. You can pray them out loud. Heavenly Father, I pray that very specific request that I prayed this morning before coming to church and then in the prayer room and then in the prayer room again, and we pray again right now, that at every time I read your word, every time that I open it up, that you would increase my hunger and my thirst to understand what that means. And though we are thousands of years displaced from when it was actually written, we believe that you can show us the core context of what you're trying to say. I believe that you can teach me. Every time I open that up, you could teach me something new, something fresh, something that is here to challenge my soul and challenge my lifestyle. So Father, I pray that you would increase that hunger. I can't produce it on my own, 
I can't produce thirst on my own, but your word says that those who th- that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and righteousness is all through your word. And now your word promises that we will be filled or we will be satisfied. So God, I want that hunger and I want that thirst. So we could say, blessed is I who hunger and thirst for the righteousness, for your word, that I will be filled to overflowing. God, I pray that even the, the, the uh, Bible lessons and the portions of scripture that I've read hundreds of times, I pray from this day on, it'll be different. It'll look new, it'll be fresh, that I'll see things that I've never seen before, that I'll be encouraged in all areas of my life like I've never been encouraged before. And God, I pray not just for the hunger and thirst, Come on, keep praying, guys. Keep on calling out. Uh, I just pray, Father, that you would give me courage. You would give me boldness. Most of all, even brokenness and humility to actually follow it. That I would never walk in pride as I see something and I read something and I say, oh, I figured that out already and I've been there already. But God, that you would truly give me that courage that's necessary to obey the law of God, to obey what's in your word so that I can honestly say that I am in process of being transformed by your word. I, God, I desire that for my life, for my family's life, for this church family, that we can save every breath uh, for the remainder of our lives, that we are in a constant process of being transformed into the image of Christ. The only way I know that happens is through your word, through prayer, through fasting, through giving, and through hearing the voice of the Lord. So God, your word is extremely important and vital in that. And I pray once again for the courage. I pray for that transformative power in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Okay, so I want to talk tonight. Uh, <clears throat> this, the theme for this week is acceleration brings anointing and how, how accelerating when God accelerates you in your own personal life or maybe in your career, uh, maybe with your family, maybe in your ministry, how that actually brings an awareness of greater anointing. The way that we worded it, acceleration brings anointing, you might think that you're not anointed before you accelerate, but that's not true at all. It's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, You are anointed. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to hit on aspects of the family of how when we're walking in our anointing, how it can actually strengthen, not, I mean, it absolutely will strengthen the church family as a whole. So a lot of times in church life, uh, we wait for the, the men and the women who are paid to do ministry to bring strength to the church. But if we understand, like Joel says, we are the church. It's not this building. It's not the, the professional Uh, clergy, every single person who follows Jesus is adopted into his kingdom, a part of the family, and now we're a part of the church. So we need every single person to be walking in their anointing to strengthen our family, right? It goes back, say amen. Amen. You're allowed to talk back on a Wednesday night. Just keep on moving, keep on moving. Um, So it's just like when Paul talks about different parts of the body, We we need all parts of the body functioning correctly. I believe that that we will absolutely experience more awareness of his anointing and then walk in it more fully when we're accelerating with the Lord. When we take our foot off the gas pedal and we just kind of start to coast through life, he's not gonna jam down your throat growth and acceleration. But when we choose to put the gas pedal on, I'm not saying he's gonna rush his promise to be fulfilled. I'm not saying you're gonna grow super speed and everything you've ever wanted is gonna come in six months. We see it throughout scripture. It takes 20, 30 years, 40 years, sometimes 80 years for things to develop. So acceleration doesn't mean let's rush God. Acceleration means let 
us make the decision to put our foot on the gas pedal. And when we are aligning ourselves with the Lord, he'll accelerate us. He's not, he's not going to say, hey, good try, but maybe next year. He'll absolutely grow us in him. And I believe we'll walk in that anointing. So I wanna talk just about, uh, uh, about anointing for a few minutes and then we'll get into uh, numbers. And uh, if time permits, we'll get into Joshua. If not, we'll get into Joshua on Sunday morning. <clears throat> so in the Old Testament, that word anointing, I wanna talk about that for a little bit. In the Old Testament, a king, a priest, a prophet, they would be anointed with oil for their specific task. And when they were anointed with oil, that's a, a type or a symbol, a representation of the Holy Spirit throughout all of Scripture. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not come and dwell upon everybody. Does that make sense? He came and he dwells in us and when we're born again and upon us when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it was just those with special purpose, such as the prophet, the priest, and the king. So what would usually happen is God would have that person anointed with oil. It wasn't like the little dabble do ya also. This was like a flask just poured over. When I think about David going back out into the pasture that day, he didn't have like this little uh, smeared shiny cross on his forehead. He went out and his head was dripping and his beard was sticky and his robe and everything that he was wearing was completely like filled with this stuff. So this isn't like, I hope the anointing's still there. It's like, I've been anointed by God. So what happened in these situations, it wasn't just oil. That oil represented what the Holy Spirit was going to do. So you see time and time again, on the priests, prophets, and kings, the Holy Spirit would come upon them for their position, okay? You don't see, uh, a lot, you don't see everybody else having the Holy Spirit come upon them. You see, when people were, were doused with that oil, the Holy Spirit came upon them, it even says in some of the situations, they became a new person. That was God's anointing becoming upon them. Now today in the new covenant, God is absolutely still anointing people. Can you say amen? amen. So he's still anointing kings. He's still, uh, still anointing priests. He's still anointing prophets. The really good news is he's anointing businessmen and women. He's anointing teachers. He's anointing nurses. He's anointing uh, childcare workers. He's anointing const uh, construction workers. He's anointing gas fill workers. He's anointing anybody and everybody who calls Jesus their Lord and their King. So the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, we still use oil as a sign of anointing in the New Covenant, but we know that we can walk constantly in the anointing because of Jesus, okay? So, the meaning, the, 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 let me back up. Jesus is the anointing. So we're not searching for this intangible surge of power. And I even pray, I, I, got, I have to pray differently after even preparing for this because every, every single week leading up to Sunday, God, I pray that you would anoint my message, you would anoint my message, you would anoint my message. But the Lord's just like refreshed my memory today. I'm asking for more of Jesus to be splattered all over me through the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm asking for. And it's not like his measure is coming more. It's that my belief system is coming more into alignment of what he's already done for me. So when you say Jesus Christ is your Lord, he, Jesus, is the anointing that comes to live in you through the Holy Spirit, okay? So the meaning of that word Christ, Christ means the anointed one. So I just wanna back up just a little bit. The meaning of that word Christ is taken from the Old Testament. So God promised the Israelites that there would be a Messiah 
who would deliver them from their sin. So the idea of the Messiah was carried over into the New Testament by the title Christ. Not to get confusing on you, but the word in the New Testament for Christ, Christos, in the Greek, is taken from the Old Testament Hebrew word. I'm not gonna try to pronounce it. It means Messiah. So when you see Messiah in the Old Testament, that means Christ in the New Testament. They're one and the same. That word Messiah means anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ, we pray to Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's Jesus, the anointed one. So when we receive Jesus, the anointed one, into our life, it's, the Bible says we're hidden in Christ. So we're hidden in the anointing when we say yes to Jesus. And yet times in my life, and I've, you know, we, we could watch it in Christians' lives, we don't live like we're anointed. We live like we're struggling to just get by. I'm not talking about finance or anything. I'm saying just spiritually. The Bible says you're hidden in Christ. So the next time you read that verse, hidden in Christ, one with Christ, unified with Christ, you are all of those things in the anointed one. So when we're praying for the anointing, we're praying for a greater awareness of what Christ, who Christ already is in us. We're not, we're not pray, praying for the, you know, the surge of power. We just need to be more aware that we're already walking in it. So Luke 4, 18, Jesus is talking and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's looking at an Old Testament. He's quoting an Old Testament verse, now prophecy fulfilled. It says, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So what it's saying here, the spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus and the spirit has anointed him to bring good news to the poor, release of the captives and so on and so on. So Go back to the Old Testament real quick. Priests, prophets, kings were anointed by the Holy Spirit with the symbol of oil for a specific purpose. And now Jesus comes to earth and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Same thing that happened in the Old Testament, but now it's happening in what we know as the New Testament, as the new covenant is emerging. And he's saying that same spirit that you saw coming on people that same thing, that being called the Holy Spirit is on me and he's anointed me for a very specific purpose. It's interesting later on in John where he says, I've been sent and so the same exact way that I've been sent, so I'm sending you. So you are anointed as Christ was anointed though you are not the savior of the world. Everybody could say amen. But you have that anointing because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Acts 10.38, Peter is preaching to a crowd of non-believers in Cornelius' courtyard, most likely. And it says, you know, he says in, in verse 38, this is Acts 10, verse 38. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So what's the anointing? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit upon your life through Christ. He says, then Jesus went around, he went uh, doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? Because he already broke the rod of the oppressor. So he went around destroying these works. It says, for God was with him. Verse 44 says, even as Peter was saying these things. So Peter has this message, and in a part of the message, he starts talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What's the anointing? It's the Holy Spirit coming on you through the presence of Jesus. And it says, even as he was preaching, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them, and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
So it's in the middle of a message. Like that would completely weird me out. You're preaching on the anointing. Maybe the Lord will do it like right now. Be cool. He's preaching on the anointing. He's preaching that Jesus was able to walk in that power because of the Holy Spirit upon his life. Forecasting, foreshadowing that this thing is available for all of us. So what happens? The Holy Spirit gets poured out. An entire crowd starts speaking in tongues or baptizing the Holy Spirit. Like saved and baptized at the same time. Pretty neat uh, occurrence in scripture. So that same anointing is available through us. We see it in scripture. In 1 John 2, 27, this is the NIV version. Uh, the other ones I was reading was New Living Translation, which the rest will be also. But it says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Can you say remains? So you can't think, like people say, well, he's really anointed and they're not really anointed. I'm really walking in my anointing. Oh, my, my anointing lifted. No, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. We, have, we really have to be challenged by this. I'm, I'm challenged by this because there are seasons of life where I would sense I'm walking in my full anointing. And what I've realized in those seasons is I am dying to myself in such a way that I've positioned myself under the oil flask of the Lord. So just picture a constant flowing bottle of oil. Okay, just visualize that. It's always flowing. There's always enough. And what your responsibility to do is to steward your time and your faith in such a way that you just stay under that. So now, okay, you're doing what you need to be doing to surrender yourself to the Lord, to stay humble before the Lord. And you're also walking in your purpose. So now as you're making progress, you're saying, oh, the anointing's with me. And now we say, wow, that guy, that girl, she's really walking in her anointing. It's because she's walking or he's walking in the purpose that God has for them. And when I say purpose, I don't mean like he has one career for you and don't mess it up or you come out from under the oil. I'm saying he has a broad purpose for you. I think it was in 2009, uh, I was just taking a look at my life, <laughs> just asking the Lord, like, why did, why did he put me on this earth? Like, what does he wanna do through my life and so on? I feel like he gave me a purpose statement, a vision for my life to equip and release people into their God-given destinies and help them take risks for God. And in that realization, I was like, okay, I, I think I'm in the right place being a pastor. I used to be an elementary teacher. And the Lord showed me, I know that I'm called to ministry, just follow me out here. But he showed me how he, could, he can fulfill that purpose and was fulfilling that purpose to some measure as I was a teacher. And if I went to work as a construction worker, that anointing can still be going if I'm in my purpose, the vision that he has for my life. So I feel like I have that vision. I also feel called to vocational ministry. So I believe that I should be able to walk in the full measure of his anointing throughout my life. And the same is exactly true for you. Don't ever think that it has to be in paid vocational ministry. Does this make sense? Okay. So it says here, the anointing you received from him remains in you through the Holy Spirit. It says, and you don't, you don't need anyone to teach you. That does not mean that you shouldn't be at sessions like this. It's saying, it's not that legalistic controlling, tell you all these laws and rules you have to do. It says, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So what I believe is being taught there is, you have the opportunity. We know the reality is the anointing is in us. The anointing remains. It's our choice if we're gonna remain in him or not to walk in that anointing. With 20 minutes left, seven pages to go. Let's do it. 
Let's do it. Yeah, accelerate. Yeah. If I start talking fast, you won't understand me. <laughs> I am going to share some of this uh, on Sunday as well, but let's just do a quick introduction of where we're, where we're headed for the remainder of January. For 40 years, the Israelites, who were first called Hebrews, they had traveled through the wilderness with no permanent resting place. This is not because God did not want them, you know, to have a home or so on. Their, their resting place was supposed to be what is called the promised land. The promised land is the, the rich land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, there's a scripture that says that a group brought back clusters of grapes that two people had to carry that they were so large. So the Lord had uh, just a filling of blessing and provision that he had for them. That was promised all the way back in Abraham. Remember, Abraham took him to the promised land. He's counting his descendants as, as more, uh, uh, far more than the, the stars that he could ever count. So this is a promise that is hundreds of years in the making. Uh, the, the, the actual land itself is mostly west of the Jordan River. There's some territories to the east as well all the way south of Egypt. And it includes, if you looked at a map, it would include like where Jerusalem is, the West Bank, uh, and then up north all the way down near Egypt. So the promised land that we're gonna be talking about Wednesdays and Sundays for the remainder of January is representative of our salvation and spirit-filled life. It is the life that God has for us. And yet little amounts of Christians actually live in a way that they could say, I'm living in the promised land. You'll see in the promised land, everything doesn't always go right. It's just the abundance that they're supposed to live in, knowing that God is with them and will bring them to a place of provision and healing and uh, protection and victory, even when the enemy attacks. It was God's will for them to wipe out all of their enemies as they came into the promised land, though disobedience caused that to not happen. So instead, so... What it represents, like I said, is salvation. In the Old Testament, it was a physical space. In the New Testament, it's a spiritual reality in our life. So when you start to learn about the promised land, take those physical things. Imagine those big grapes. Imagine the milk and honey flowing. And now imagine what a, a, a river of living water can be coming out of your mouth as you speak God's word. Imagine, listen, if they can provide grapes that large and provide for them, God's obviously gonna provide for me. Does this make sense? I mean, in every sense of the way, not just, not just financially. So the promised land, it was their destination. It was their destiny. Our lifestyle should mirror what God intended the Israelites to experience in the promised land. You guys all right? Okay. So what I want to do is back up before the journey to set us up for Sunday. So before they got into the promised land, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Promised land was his destination they were in the wilderness. To back it up even further, the Israelites lived in Egypt for several hundred years. If you know the story, Joseph's living in Egypt during a time of famine. He had the wisdom and the favor of the Lord upon him. He had all the food set out for Pharaoh. Uh, and then Joseph's family ended up moving. A new Pharaoh comes into town, doesn't know them, doesn't like that they've, they, they've grown like by a lot of people over that time. So he begins to oppress them and put them into slavery. Slavery and oppression is a picture, a symbol of what the devil wants to do to your life, your body, your soul, your spirit. So when we see people getting beat and whipped and confined and chained and overworked, that's what the devil wants your life to be like, a life of slavery and being bound. 
So this is a huge picture of hundreds of years how God's people were built or were, were put into this situation until Moses comes along. I'm not gonna share that whole story. We're gonna fast forward past uh, the plagues and past some crazy signs and wonders all the way to the point of the Passover. So the Passover is a picture of Jesus being the Passover lamb. They slaughter a lamb. They put some of the blood on the doorpost. That is a representation that they are God's people. Knowing that they're God's people, the angel of death passes by them and does not afflict them with that last plague. That very next morning, now the picture is Jesus, right? Jesus, the anointed one, is my protector and my deliverer. That's the picture of this. The blood's all smeared on the doorpost. And we now know, looking back, this is what this represented. So what happens is the anointed one delivers them through Moses's ministry out of Egypt into uh, the wilderness. Still with me? A lot of history, trying to, trying to move, I'm trying to move. So based on my studies, there's some different things out there. It, it took them about 45 days from Egypt to Mount Sinai. This is when Moses met with God, 10 commandments, so on. From Sinai to the promised land should have taken about 11 days based on what I've read. I, know, I, I have seen other things, but based on what I keep seeing over and over again. About 45 days, the first trip, about 11 days. Them coming, them stepping out from under that pouring of the oil, even though they weren't in the new covenant, that protection blessing of the Lord spent them 40 years in the desert. There's a problem with that. Disobedience, because of disobedience, an entire generation that was 20 years or older, the entire generation that was fighting age at that time had to die in the desert. In fact, Moses, Aaron, died in the desert because of disobedience. So that's, this is huge. We talk about grace, we talk about mercy. Absolutely, it's the gospel. And disobedience and sin will still kill us. We have, we have to realize that it doesn't do anything, if anything, that, that exalts the power of his grace and mercy to understand how, how dangerous sin is and living in sin. So we have Caleb and Joshua. These were the only two men. I'm getting closer to Joshua, if you notice. Caleb and Joshua, the only two men that were of fighting age that made it into the promised land. We're gonna find out why through some of these scriptures. If you have your Bible, you could turn to Numbers 13. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It's a very easy translation to read. I like to study out of the New American Standard Bible. I grew up on the NIV. There's, there's pluses and minuses to each translation. So what's happening here? 12, uh, 12 spies were sent into the promised land. Okay, so, okay, they're getting closer. We shouldn't, we're 10, 11 days away. We can do this now. God wants to accelerate them through the wilderness it says in Numbers 13, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. Verse 23, when they came to the valley of Eskol, Eskol uh, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. I'm just giving you a picture of the promised land, which represents are saved, spirit-filled life. They brought back samples of pomegranates and figs, verse 25. After exploring for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron, the whole community. They reported to the community what they had seen. This was their report to Moses. 
We entered the land that you uh, sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces as they show it to him. What I see in these verses is this, abundant blessing and health was the will of God and still is the will of God for his people. We have to get to a place where we can talk about health and prosperity and understand it's scriptural without abusing it and without feeling bad if you're sick or if you're in poverty right now. Because that's what usually happens. You hear, well, I believe God wants us to be well and provided for. And people that aren't well right now or aren't provided for, they get guilty and say, well, what is he preaching and this and that? No, 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 no. It should build our encouragement and our faith that if God wants us to be well, so we can minister. God wants us to be provided for, for our families, and so we can give generously to the poor, to missionaries like Joel, to other people who are in need. Then it starts to make sense in our life. Listen to what happens. You could stay in Numbers 13. In Psalm 105, verse 37, it's talking about the Lord bringing his people out. It says, the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold. Can you say loaded? I'm not making this up loaded with silver and gold, and not one among the tribes of Israel even stumbled. Your new King James Version say, none of them was feeble among the tribes. I'm not, I'm not it's like a new year, new messages. You teach in health and wealth. I'm just teaching, I'm just showing you what God's word says and let it challenge you. And don't walk out of here more miserable because like, again, you're in debt or you're sick right now. This should like really encourage you. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was even in them, the Lord somehow designed it that they would walk out loaded with silver and gold and that they weren't feeble. So let's take a look at how. In Exodus 12, 35, this is during the Exodus. It says, the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. Isn't that interesting? It's a new day concept of obedience. <laughs> And they asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. Well, if they did that, God must have asked them to do that or commanded them to do that. Are you following me? They did as the Lord asked. What did they do? They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians a picture of slavery, the devil's work in your life. Bondage, depression, poverty, sickness, everything the devil wants to do to still kill and destroy. And it says the Lord caused these Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites. They gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. It's plundering the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of darkness to populate the kingdom of heaven with everything God says he wants for our life. We talk about anointing, we talk about favor, blessing, prosperity. I hope that you know me if you've been at Central long enough. It is never to become self-consumed, selfish, so I have more and more and more. I believe that we walk in our anointing when we're looking externally to see how we can minister to people, including the ones we love and our family members and friends. It's not always across the sea, but it includes that. Shake your head, yes? Yeah, Okay. So they strip the Egyptians of their wealth. Who has the wealth if they stripped their Egyptians of their wealth? The Hebrews, the Israelites. So they left after all these plagues, after the splattering of the, uh, the blood, they left Egypt. I mean, 
you have to picture this. These people are coming right out of slavery. These people are beat up, wounds on their back. You know, probably people waking up with headaches from being beat the, the, the day before. You have to picture what's happening here. This is the very next day being delivered out of bondage from slavery. And they are now completely wealthy from owning nothing. And you better, I think at one time was there, was there quote a double for making uh, bricks? It's like Pharaoh got, got mad and it's okay, we're gonna double this up. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's true. I see some heads saying yes. So they go from like having to do this just to survive. And now they're walking out wealthy. And the scripture says that none of them were feeble among them. Now, when the spies visited the promised land for the first time, what did they see? A very rich and provided for land. You have to get, you have to, I can almost sense it. You have to get rid of the, the, when I say wealthy, like of just picturing the gold chains and like all this stuff. And the, listen, the Lord, I believe the Lord wants us provided for it. And I use the word prosperity because I want to fight back against how it's been used and abused. I believe if you look biblically at prosperity, it's more than enough, which we just read last Sunday in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter nine, where he's gonna provide for us and increase our storehouse so that we will have more than enough to be generous on every occasion. So when you, like even that word wealth, like we think of, you know, again, these these impure, uh, uh, immoral businessmen, that's not the wealth that the Lord's talking about here. It was taken from the enemy and now used throughout their journey. Do you know in scripture, when they built the tabernacle, like if, you, if you've ever read the tabernacle and all of the details, all of the intricacies that it was, do you know when they went to build that thing that the builders had to ask the people to stop giving? Secretly, that's like every pastor's dream. You don't have to give to it. No, it's a part of lifestyle, so you wanna be generous. But can you picture that? A builder, and these are like gems, gold, silver, jasper. I mean, all these things. And he's like, like, no, 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 we have more than enough. We have to stop. God somehow figured out that his people were gonna be so provided for that they could build his tabernacle, his resting place for his presence, Old Testament. Where is his resting place for his presence, New Testament? In us. So Christ, uh, it's not Christ in the Old Testament. God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Now it says we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you following some of this stuff? So if he provided for a, 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 a building made by hands, how much is he gonna provide for us when his own spirit dwells within us? The spirit of Christ, the anointed one, lives in you. So this doesn't make me feel more distant from the needs that I have. This is like really encouraging me. If I could find this thing in the old covenant, we know that the new covenant is a better and more complete and fulfilled covenant. That word stumbled in verse uh, 37, it means uh, stumble or falter. It means not to be weak, not to be wounded or not to be failing. So picture this. There's approximately 600,000 men plus women and kids. So we're talking potentially 2 million people that left that day. They were being beat, oppressed, misused, I'm sure underfed, undernourished. There were people that were walking out of there with scars, boo-boos, headaches, hungry, tired. There was young and old. And it says that none of them were feeble. None of them even stumbled. That's amazing to me. So the blind person pre-Passover can't see post-Passover. Blood of Jesus, the anointed one, can see. Like I wish they kind of stopped there and broke that out a little bit. 
Like there were limbs that, that grew back. There were people that woke up and they're like, honey, where are all of your stripes on your back? Gone. So they walked out of slavery, bondage, and oppression, completely provided for and completely healthy. And they were headed toward the promised land, which was supposed to be even better. Well, it was better than Egypt, <laughs> but definitely better than the, the wilderness as well. This gets me excited to see, wait a minute, as he's accelerating, as he's accelerating them, the anointing's coming. He says, you're in slavery, no longer. Wipe the blood to represent the anointed one. And when I leave out of that, you're already delivered, though you have a journey. How many of you know you have a, a season of preparation? And it could be a lot longer. I was reminded a couple of weeks back, um, I think it was when we were preaching on Mary, maybe, or maybe the shepherds that, uh, I heard a, a, a pastor up in the North Hills say the, the, the joy is in the journey, not the destination. So we don't have to look at the wilderness as a time that's dry and barren. In fact, that's a really cool revelation that I don't know that I've thought about. We, when we say we're in the wilderness, when we say I'm in a wilderness season, I'm in a desert season, we look at that as dry, empty, God's not speaking to us. Where did God provide for them? They were wealthy, healthy. I can't think of another word to rhyme with that. And God's, God's manifest presence showed up in the wilderness. So go ahead, say you're in a wilderness a season. I'm in a wilderness season. Then you must be overly provided for, healthy and strong, not feeble at all, and the fire of God's about to fall on you. Completely different perspective of a wilderness season. So he's preparing them. This is good stuff. I didn't even prepare this. <laughs> stealthy, stealthy, thank you. Wealthy, healthy, and stealthy. It's a new. <laughs> oh, goodness, help us. So, like, picture this acceleration. Picture if we would just press every person that calls Central their home and every missionary that calls Central affiliated would just press on that gas pedal. Fast, pray, press in. Just press on that gas pedal. And understand, as you're pressing, you're gonna hear the voice of the Lord a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. And as you, as you start to get ideas, I was talking, my wife brought this in some, of the, some other, uh, with, with Richie this past, coming into this, uh, this past weekend, even coming into this uh, year, I didn't feel like God was giving like these big dreams and this and this. And he, he just said, listen, be rooted in me, press that gas pedal, accelerate with me, and all those things are gonna fall into place. It was his choice to deliver them. It was his choice to accelerate them, but they still had to walk. They didn't like sit in carts and then they were accelerated through the desert. They had to choose to walk out of there. And I don't have time tonight, but you see many times they wanna go back. In fact, yeah, I'm like, so not gonna get there. <laughs> Health and wealth, I, I wanna share this. I, I wanna share a couple other things. Nursery workers will watch your kids, it's okay. Health and wealth are not a sure sign of spiritual maturity. Please don't take that message. Just because somebody is walking in uh, health or wealth, it doesn't mean they're spiritually mature and they have it all together because that could get very, very unbiblical and sick, to be honest. Because now somebody coughs, I don't have enough faith. Somebody gets an extra bill and something breaks down, now they're in debt, I don't have enough faith. Faith, I believe, will bring you into those breakthroughs. Does that make sense? But just because you have it doesn't mean you're a spiritual elite. It doesn't minimize the absolute importance of faith. 
Because if I don't have faith in these verses, then I'm not going to expect to walk in a strong body so I can advance the kingdom. And I'm not gonna walk in a level of provision where I can give. So do you see the balance of that? I'm saying a lot about money and a lot about health today and protection, provision, deliverance. But I need, I need you to hear me. The balance of that is don't measure someone's spirituality by the items in their pocket or their health in their body. The devil's still real. And we still have the assignment to destroy the works of the enemy. So we'll partner with you. It's the worst thing. That's what the, what's known as the health and wealth gospel. That's why it, it, it is out of, of whack because there's criticism and judgment for people who are struggling in their finances or their health. It's not what we do here. We partner with them and help them and encourage them and pray with them and minister to them. You say amen? Okay. Just go all through there. Let's go to Numbers 13, 28. I'll be quick. This was Caleb and Joshua. They like this. We can take this. What do the other 10 say? The people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast. And it goes on. What they're doing, what, what stopped the Israelites from accelerating was fear. Fear of the enemy came in and they said, no way. And they go on, I won't read all the verses, but they go on, actually in verse 30, it says Caleb tried to quiet them. He probably wasn't like, shh. I mean, he's, we're talking about the promised land is right in grasp. And it says, let's go at once and take the land. That's a perfect picture of faith. Faith in acceleration, believing you're gonna walk in the anointing more strongly. I don't know if that's actually grammatically correct. You will walk more fully in your anointing as you're accelerating. Caleb and Joshua knew that. The other 10 got afraid. So it says in 31, they all disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. The land we traveled will devour anyone that goes to live there. So all of these excuses into Numbers chapter 14, the community starts weeping. They cried all night. Uh, it says, um, if only we had died in Egypt. So like, especially some of you that are fasting for the very first time, if you've gone through like the normal things, maybe the first day was exciting, second day or even third day, maybe a potentially a pretty bad headache because you're detoxifying. Maybe your, your muscles and joints are a little bit sore because you're not drinking enough water or because you're detoxifying. All those things at this point could say, I wish I could just be eating right now. I wish I was back in Egypt where at least they provided the morsel for me. But there is acceleration that will take place if you're fasting, if you're praying, if you're worshiping, if you're spending even just a little bit more time in your word, asking for fresh teaching, fresh insight, fresh revelation every time you look. So I see two things in this portion, fear and excuses completely stop them from accelerating and it neutralized their anointing. God said, surely I will be with you. It's there. Joshua's anointed their king. So now they're walking in the anointing, post blood. And it completely stopped them for 40 years. I don't know how many exact, it was 39 and a half, I guess, years they had to stay in the desert because of excuses and because of fear. So enters Joshua chapter one, which we will pick up with on Sunday.
And we're gonna talk about alignment. We're gonna talk about how acceleration brings alignment. Once we start pressing on that gas pedal, what we're doing is we're dying to ourselves. We're surrendering ourselves. We're saying, I'm broken without you, right? Like I'm serious. Fasting just brings a whole nother, like when you're, you're like dizzy in the middle of the day and you don't know what, God, I need you. Like in more than one way, need you. So it brings you just back to uh, the, the best place. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It just teaches you how to be poor in spirit, be broken before him. So we're gonna find out how he accelerates them. Yes, they still make mistakes and so on, but we're gonna look at what God's will was for their life and what the promised land looked like uh, a little bit more and how God was preparing them to get their provisions ready, to consecrate themselves because his will was that they lived in the promised land. Let's stand and pray. I was gonna do something. I was gonna have the pastors and the elders come up and anoint everybody with oil, like symbolically. But I would actually like you to do that uh, yourself in a time of prayer sometime in the rest of this week. I want it to be not um, ritualistic at all. Like I'm standing in the aisle and this man or woman of God is putting the cross on me. I want you to just take Crisco oil, whatever type of oil that you have, olive oil. I want you by yourself or with your spouse, I don't know, however it works out for you, but if it's most personal, if it's by yourself, and just anoint yourself, or like pour the whole thing over your head if you wanna feel like David, whatever you wanna do. <laughs> but I want you to just anoint yourself and like just meditate on the realization you are anointed. You're already anointed. There's no greater anointing that God's going to give you, but you can walk more fully in the purpose, the power, and the, the uh, promises that God has for you. Does that make sense? So your, your, our goal in life is to stay under that in an, through an intimate relationship with Jesus. Stay under that oil through an intimate relationship with Jesus. Don't make this about your ministry and what you're trying to do. Connect with him intimately and then you'll be under it and then all that other stuff works out. The dreams come, the ideas come, the energy comes, all that cool stuff. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that it's pretty clear in Scripture that Jesus is the anointed one, Christ, the anointed one. And it's really clear in Scripture that we, when we're born again, we have the Spirit of Christ in us. It's really clear in Scripture that the anointing is meant to remain and that we are also meant to remain in Him, in you. So Father, I pray not only do you help us put that, our foot on the gas pedal to accelerate, but I also pray that you give us realization where we're not under the anointing right now, where we're walking maybe in disobedience or some of these other things that are out of place. And I believe, God, that as we accelerate with you, that we will walk more fully in our, in our anointing. And I do see a day where the, the people who call central their home are all in their sweet spot, all walking in the fullness of their anointing, completely unique and different, and yet completely unified. I believe that's the body of Christ you are forming at Central. Completely, that we can honor each other's uniquenesses and also operate in diversity. We thank you that you anoint us for different tasks, different purposes, different callings in life, but as we operate together, we're strengthened and we can actually be the body of Christ advancing the kingdom as our mission says. So encourage us, give us that realization until we meet on Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming this evening. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us. 
Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.